So we approach our whatever text this morning um, with food in mind. I know you're probably a little distracted. We'll get to this guy in just a moment. Um, we, lots of debate. I mean, if you want to fight over food, I've, my family, my dad used to would eat pretty much anything. Um, he would sometimes sit down at the breakfast table and my brother and I would be eating cereal and he would open a can of sardines. You know what sardines smell like at like 6 o'clock in the morning? I mean, they smell awful all the time, but when you're eating cereal, right. Um, Does pineapple belong on pizza? Does ketchup belong on a hot dog? You know, all the things we fight over. Wage wars. No, we don't. Um, But I learned this week in talking and looking around, there are are thousands of people who wage greater wars over food. Um, Do you eat mac and cheese with a fork or a spoon? You say caramel or caramel? There's little dust-ups in my own family about that one. Um, <laughs> I, um, is a Pop-Tart actually a ravioli? I'm telling you. Um, food. It would, it, would, it would amaze you to realize how much argument and stress and debate and heartache took place in the first century church over food. Not as a Pop-Tart or ravioli or not ketchup on hot dogs. Um, Sorry, we've been in this theme whatever. There's many ways to say whatever. You could say it with a shoulder shrug, whatever. You can say with an eye roll, whatever. But we've seen that there's incredible potential and power. When we see all in one, Psalm 115, why do the nations say, where is your God? We say our God is in the heaven. He does whatever he pleases. That's power. That's potential. That's a big whatever. And then we see Jesus, after telling a man who's been lame for 38 years, My father has been working up to now, and now I'm joining him in his work, and whatever he does, I do. I'm just doing whatever he does. Man, incredible. And we see in Mark 13, Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to be brought to the synagogues, you're going to be flogged, you're going to be brought before the city council. You're going to be brought before governors. You're going to be brought before kings. And you're going to be in prison the night before. And you're going to be tempted to be anxious and afraid. And you're going to be tempted to sit there and, and worry about what you're going to say. But let me tell you, you just walk into that moment with peace in your heart and you say whatever the Spirit gives you. And it will be you speaking the word of God to whoever's in front of you. So just say whatever. This morning we come to a food-related whatever. And it's one of those really tricky, tricky texts that's kind of hard to apply and get your brain around. And it covers three chapters in 1 Corinthians, and there's an entire chapter devoted to it in Romans. Can you imagine three chapters of 1 Corinthians and a chapter of Romans 
over whether you should eat one item of food. <laughs> but in this one little whatever, there's just this explosive, explosive little line, little verse. And it has to do with how we as believers operate in freedom in Christ and how we look at the world and how we look at the people around it, us. And it has to do with the reason it's so difficult to apply because it has to do with meat offered to idols. Anybody run into that issue this week? It's just what I thought. Um, big deal in Paul's day. A very big deal in Corinth. Um, so I brought a friend. I hate to make dear sweet Winnie the Pooh an idol, but he's going to be our idol this morning. And this is the closest thing I could find to looking like a really rare steak. So that's a rare steak offered to an idol. Um, so in Corinth, I want you to imagine a big, huge temple filled with idols. And it's the centerpiece of society. It's the centerpiece of religion. It's the centerpiece of business. Like you go there to have business meetings. You go there to meet up with friends. You, there's, believe it or not, a restaurant attached. There's a grocery store attached. Dare I say there's even a brothel. One stop shopping, right? It's everything. And it's all tied to the worship of God's small g. You go in, you see temple prostitutes everywhere. You see the priest, you see the idols. You offer your sacrifice. The sacrifice is made, the priest gets some of the meat, you get some of the meat. Some of the meat goes maybe to the temple restaurant, if you will. Some of it makes its way to the little grocery butcher in town. You maybe get with one of the temple prostitutes because that's part of the worship too. And that's the centerpiece of town and everybody takes part. It's just the way of life. It's an important part of culture. If you're not part of that, you're just not a part of life. So just imagine, okay, right up here at Kroger. Imagine attached to Kroger, there's a giant temple where there's sacrifices happening to gods. It's priest, and then imagine there's a brothel attached to that so that when you go to Kroger, you look over and there's prostitutes out front, right? And imagine everything in the meat department was once part of a sacrifice to a god, right? <laughs> so you can, and anytime you guys have a business meeting, oh yeah, just meet me over at the restaurant there at the Kroger, right? That's where life happens. It's right in front of your neighborhood, let's say. So, you can imagine the struggle we would face as believers. And that's what Paul's going to tackle in three chapters, two chapters. 
really want to try to get it down to one verse, but there's a lot of players here. You almost need a program to keep them apart, like in baseball. Um, there's an idol involved. There's a piece of meat involved. There's a pagan involved. We're going to have actors in just a moment. Prepare yourself. I may call on you. Um, there's a, a pagan unbeliever involved whose life is spent a lot at that temple. There's some Jewish people involved who are not believers. There's some believers involved who just came out of this, so they have very, very sensitive consciences about this. And then there's believers who see this for exactly what it is. And every one of them has a different opinion about what's happening right here. To eat or not to eat? That is the question. And Paul says, well, whatever you do, eat or don't eat, do it for the glory of God. Now that sounds big and vague. Every time I eat, what do you mean? Well, we're going to pare that down. So let's... I'm going to try best as I can Let's to, um, to take three chapters and take them apart and put them together for us in a way that we can tell the players apart. But I want to start with some foundational that'll help, truths that will help us understand this guy. Okay? And this is from the standpoint of the believer. This is from the standpoint of the Apostle Paul. Okay? So this is from chapter 8 of, of 1 Corinthians. Now about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, quote, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up, and those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So let me just try to sum that up real quick. Um, there are some of you who know better about this. There are some of you who understand there are some of you who knowledge is your pursuit, but if knowledge is an end goal in itself, that will puff you up. But if knowledge is for you a servant of love, if knowledge is just a means of helping you love more, then you'll realize that in that love, the greatest knowledge is that you're known by God. Because when you know rightly, you just realize you don't know. The best knowledge is when you know I know a lot, but I really don't know anything as I ought to know. But when I love God, I realize God knows me, and that's a lot. So that's foundational. Knowledge is in the service of love. Okay? That's number one. Number two. Paul knows... That when it comes to food sacrificed by idols, this is start again in chapter 8, verse, starting in verse 4. When it comes to food sacrificed by idols, an idol is nothing at all. It's nothing but a piece of wood that somebody chopped down, put some gold and silver on it, stuck in a building. The food that's offered to it is nothing but a piece of meat. It's just an idol. It's nothing. Because why? Because there's no God but one. So if there's all these so-called gods, small g gods, and whether you think they're in heaven or whether you think they're on earth, and whether you think you've got this Lord or that Lord, 
There's really only one God who is a father and from whom all things come and for whom we live. And there's but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So he's, he's trying to help them see that this idol is it's nothing but just a piece of material. And so if they call it a God, whatever. I didn't mean to throw that in there like that. But if they, th- if they call it a God, we know that our God is a father to us. And our God is the originator of all things in heaven and earth. And we know that he knows us. And we know that there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ. And we have life in him. And all things are from him and through him and to him. And we live in him. So that idol, he's nothing. He's nothing. So that's, those are the two foundational truths. Knowledge in the service of love, and then that knowledge being that there's only one God. He is Father. There's only one Lord. He is Jesus Christ. Then he says this, but not everybody understands this. And he's he's going to start introducing this believer. He's going to tell us later on this is a believer. Not every believer gets this. Now this is He says, these people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as as having been sacrificed to a god, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. So you picture somebody who comes out of a family and out of a background that that idol worship was their life. Going into that temple, praying to that god, begging that God to bless them, begging that God to forgive them, begging that God to give them what they need, offering a sacrifice to that God and hoping to appease that God was very, very real, very, very deep to them. And when they met Jesus and came out of that, they haven't come to the place where that doesn't have some sort of hold on them. So when they see the idol and they see the meat, it still has a sense that their conscience is weak, and if they eat it, Paul says, it will defile their consciences. He says over in Romans, you have a weak conscience, and if you can't eat by faith, then don't eat. Because if you can't eat by faith, that's sin to you, and you're sinning against your own conscience. So don't do that. It's better to just not eat it. He just goes on and says, Food doesn't bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do eat or don't eat, but, but that person doesn't get that. So he says to the person who gets it, so be careful that when you exercise your rights that you don't become a stumbling block to the weak. For someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple Won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. And when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Does Paul have every right to eat a piece of meat that came from a temple? Of course he does, because that thing's nothing. 
But there are some people who can't eat it because their conscience is defiled. And he says, if that person is walking down the road and they see me in there eating because I have every right to eat, and they're just like, oh my goodness. Well, it's, it really bothers me to do this, but it, it's okay to Paul, so, right? And then they go ahead and eat and their conscience is bothering them the entire time they eat and they're, they're sensitive to this and they feel like they're sinning, but they're eating anyway and... You've just, you've just messed with a brother or sister's conscience. You've caused him to sin against himself. So Paul says, I'd rather just not eat meat in order to help my brother or sister's conscience. So Paul says, my knowledge is in the service of my love. And because I love my weaker brother and sister, even though I know this is nothing... I love my brother and sister. And because I want to disciple them, I will not eat, even though I know I can eat, because these are the people I want to see grow in the faith. I'd rather not eat and see them grow than eat and harm them. See, this isn't, this isn't thou shalt not murder. This isn't thou shalt not commit adultery. Right? This isn't one of the top ten. This is just whether or not you'll eat a piece of meat that was sacrificed to something that's nothing but might be something. Right, so then he spends chapter nine um, kind of getting into a different topic, and I'll just run through it real quick. But he starts talking about the other rights he has that he hasn't made use of. Like, um, don't I have the right to not have a job? Don't I have the right to, to, to be able to be supported by the church when I preach the gospel? Don't I have the right to have a wife? And Paul says, no, well, you know what? For your sake, I came and I worked a job and I stayed single because I wanted to make sure that there would, nothing would hinder the preaching of the gospel because I am burdened to preach the gospel. And he says, so I'm free and I belong to no one. I make myself the slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law even though I'm not under the law, to win those under the law. To those not having the law, became like one not having the law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became like a weak person to win the weak. I'll become all things to all people that I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. I'll be like a Jew if it means winning a Jew. I'll be like someone with a weak conscience who can't eat the meat if it means leading that person closer to Christ or winning them. I'll be like somebody who's never heard the law in their lives if somehow I can get them to Christ. I will submit everything I know and all the freedoms I have, surrender them, discipline myself, for the sake of the gospel. Chapter 10. He returns back to the topic. And he's just reminding the Jews here. Back to the temple. Back to the idol. Back to the... I mean, do you guys remember, he says, when we were... you guys remember our ancestors, he says? Um, remember we came out of Egypt. We went through the Red Sea. We were baptized into Moses. And um, we ate the same food. We all ate the same water from the rock. And... Um, 
we were all one and we were all together there under God. We were one group. We were one body. But guess what? We were scattered all over the wilderness. <laughs> there were bodies everywhere. Why? Because we set our hearts on idolatry and we grumbled and we complained and we started becoming like the nations around us and, and we ate and we drank and we indulged in that sexual immorality just like everybody around us did. We became idolaters. Paul says, remember that example. If you think you're standing firm, be careful, you'll fall. God will provide a way for escape to the temptation. Just be careful. Then he gets back to this. Therefore, my dear friends, flee idolatry. Wait a minute. I thought he said this thing was nothing. Listen to this. Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I do not want you to participate with demons. Wait a minute. You just said this was a nothing idol and a nothing piece of meat. Now you're bringing demons into it? Paul, what are you doing? It's all about the approach, (laughs) right? If the unbeliever thinks that this is a God and not just a piece of wood, not just Winnie the Pooh and a sponge, if if the unbeliever thinks this is a God and thinks this is going to save his life and thinks this is going to bless his crops and thinks and really believes in his heart and is pouring out his worship to this and is saying, I'm going to spend my money to give you an offering and I'm going to offer this to you and you're going to accept this and smell this and take this and do with it and you're going to bless me for it. He says, there's demons behind that. And you're going to, and he brings the Lord's Supper in, so you're going you're gonna to participate in this demonic thing during the week, and then you're going to show up on Sunday, and you're going to take the body and blood of Jesus and participate in that? Are you trying to make the Lord jealous? So then we come to our whatever. You see how this is so scattered and so... So Paul says this. It's like, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I have the right to do anything. Paul says, yeah. You can eat that sirloin, even if it came out of the butcher shop next to the temple. I'm not asking you about the right. I'm asking you if it's beneficial. I have the right to do anything. Yeah, but, but is it constructive? Is it helpful? You see, verse 24, chapter 10. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord and everything in it. Absolutely true. Don't even worry about it. Just eat the meat. Unless, right, you see, unless it's about another person's good. What if an unbeliever invites you to a meal? (laughs) Eat whatever they give you. Don't even ask. Don't even ask questions. Some of you who've been in missions 
you've had to do that. Don't even ask what you're eating right now, right? Just, just eat it. Eat it. Just take the hospitality, right? That's what he's saying. Don't even ask if this was in the temple. But if someone says to you, um, this was offered in sacrifices, then don't eat it. For the sake of the one who asks you, for the sake of conscience, I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. <laughs> if you're taking part with thankfulness, your conscience is not denounced. Then he says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. Let me see if I can make this. Hey, hey, Nick. Can you come here a minute? I'm going to let you go first. And you can pick who you want to be. Who do you want to be? I only handed you that because it was on my hand. He's the pagan. No offense, Nick. <laughs> come here, Joey. You're, you're going to be the believer. Uh, John, can you come here, please? You're going to be a believer with a sensitive conscience. And we're just going to throw in for good measure. Tass, can you come here? We're going to throw Tass in for good measure. We're just going to throw a Jew into the mix, just for kicks. didn't bring his yarmulke, but we'll just pretend. So, so um, let's say Nick has gone, Nick is the unbeliever pagan Gentile, Greek, whatever they call him in the text, has gone to the, uh, to the, to the temple next to Kroger today. He's offered his sacrifice. He's done whatever you do over there. We don't ask Nick questions. He's just done all the things. He's gone to the butcher shop, picked up a big roast, and some steak, thrown it on the grill, and he's invited all of his neighbors over for some steak. And everybody's got a piece of steak sitting in front of them. Now, do you see how many different ways this moment can go? This could go south a hundred different ways, right? Now, Joey, the believer here, he knows what this is. This is nothing but a stuffed animal and a sponge. This is nothing but nothing because he's got knowledge. He knows, and his knowledge is in the service of love. So you know what he's going to do? He ain't saying nothing. He's keeping his mouth shut, and he's going to eat Nick's steak with gratitude because Nick knows how to make a steak, and he cooks it perfect. Nick ain't saying nothing either. Joey ain't saying nothing. Now, it's questionable if Tass would be here at all. Because he probably is going to be thinking, if I go to his house, I'm unclean. I'm ruined for the week. But they've lived next door to each other for years. They watch football together, whatever. And they're cool. So he comes over and he's just praying and hoping his rabbi doesn't see him. So he's there. And then John. John now. John's still really weak with this. John is a brand new believer that Joey has been discipling. And John was big in the temple. He's the only person in his family that has come out. All of his family still worships the idol. They still think this is real. They still pour out their worship to this. Only three months ago, he was doing the same. So he's still very, very sensitive to this. 
and nobody said a word. And Nick puts the steak in front of him. And Nick leans over to Joey and says, by the way, I got this over at the temple butcher shop. What is he doing? He could be one and doing one of two things. Nick might have it in his head that a real Christian won't eat this. And he's testing Joey. Joey has to make a decision. If he thinks this is what a real Christian is, Nick and I need to talk. So he might put down his fork and his knife, or Nick might be thinking that Joey is like John, and he has a very sensitive conscience, and he doesn't want to mess with John, Joey, if he's like this, and and Joey's going to say, man, I was looking forward to this steak. (sighs) Can you give me a doggy bag? No, he's, can I take this home, right? Or... John looks at Joey. He says, hey, Joey, I saw Nick coming out of the temple with a steak today. I think this has been offered to idols. There's no way John could participate in this meal without ruining his conscience. He's going to sin against himself if he eats this. Joey wants to disciple John, but Joey wants to reach Nick. Joey wants to reach Tess. Joey's in a dilemma. Joey could say, it's my right to eat this steak. It's just waiting to boo. It's his right. I'm free. But Joey's got love. And his knowledge is in the service of love. Joey loves his pagan friend and his Jewish friend and his believer with a sense of... He loves John. He wants to disciple John. He doesn't want to ruin John's confidence. So Joey says... You know what? I'm going to stick with the veggies. Great salad. I love these mashed potatoes, right? (laughs) Okay, you guys can sit down. Thank you very much. You guys are wonderful. Yay. So so this, this could go so many wrong, so many different ways. But do you see how... In the moment, the question is not what I know, but who do I love? And who am I trying to win? Who am I trying to disciple? So we throw this line around, and you've heard it so many times. Whatever, whether you drink or whatever you, eat, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. But if you're narrowing it down right here, the glory of God is, <laughs> who am I trying to win? Who am I trying to share the gospel with? Who am I trying to disciple? And my, my decisions made with that in mind. And then this goes even the other direction because if you go back to Acts 15, there's this whole thing where Tass the Jew is saying, okay, if these Gentiles are going to come to Jesus and get in on the deal, um, I mean, after all, this was our idea first, um, they at least need to take the law upon themselves. And the, the apostles said something brilliant we can't be making it hard for Gentiles to follow Jesus. Why are we making it hard? Why are we making it difficult? And so they, they narrowed it down and they sent this letter out to the churches. And you know what one of the things was? Don't eat food sacrificed to idols. You know what? Let's just take that off the table and just let's, let's just not offend to begin with. Paul says, I'm free to. 
but for the sake of the gospel and the people I want to reach, I don't. Because my knowledge is in the service of my love, and my love is in the service of making disciples and reaching people for Jesus. Now, I don't, this is difficult, right? I don't know what this is. What is this for you? Right? We often say, it's drinking a beer. Now, you say, that's kind of weird, but it's not, because you know what I mean. Trust me on this one. My wife at, at Thanksgiving Christmas makes a bourbon pecan pie, and it is out of this world delicious. But I have to go to the liquor store to buy the bourbon. And it's right in front of my neighborhood. And I pull up my car and I look around. <laughs> Are there any church people watching me go into the liquor store? Sneaking in. Give me some Maker's Mark. It's right there. <laughs> going the back way to my house. <laughs> what if church people see me going to the liquor store? Thankfully, it lasts a couple of years, right? I don't have to go back this year if she makes it again. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> you said that's a silly example it's not we were once in a small group with a couple who met in AA you know it was a big deal to them exactly <laughs> right I mean so we could just go on and on and on right with all of the different people you know the people you hope to disciple the lost people you hope to reach with the gospel and you start asking yourself who are, the, who are the disciples with a sensitive conscience that I need to maybe draw back on certain things? Um, who are the lost people that I want to make sure I don't think turn things into law and make it difficult for? Ooh, that's a big one because the church is horrible at that one. I get this all the time because I talk to lost people a lot and you should hear the things they think Christians are. Oh, evangelical. That means you vote this way, and you're for this, 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 and this, and you're against this, this, and this. Boy, it would be a lot for me to become like you. And I'm just going. <laughs> no, no. The word evangelical means gospel. I'm a gospeler. Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross for you. He rose again. That's it. Why are we putting so much stuff in the way, right? So, Sometimes there are certain things that aren't written in stone moral issues. You can do them with a good conscience, but your conscience may make you not do them. And sometimes, you know what you do? You just keep your mouth quiet about them. The last thing you do is get on social media and talk about how the people who don't have your views are stupid. Because, see, there was another view to take here, right? It could have been that if I've been, you know, really on social media a lot, well, this guy's just a pagan idiot. He's probably a progressive leftist. This guy's just a snowflake, and he needs to get over his sensitive conscience. Jew, we love Israel, man, but you're headed to hell. You know, Right? Because I'm here to save the country, and I don't actually care about the people, individuals who make up the country, but we're here to win the war, you know? It's like, really? It's the, the Americans we're trying to reach. 
right? We're not here to win arguments. So there are certain things that I just don't even, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas are coming up. What don't you bring up at the table? <laughs> I know what we don't talk about in certain places, right? It's when you coach your kids. Okay, kids, we're going to so-and-so's house. Don't bring this up. Okay, we won't talk about it. Yeah, let me just say one more thing. This is so much a cultural thing, isn't it? Like, this is something that just really has to seep down in our hearts about how we think of God and how we think of people. So last week we had this, I'm just going to go ahead and do a rewind to last week. Let's get really, really difficult for a moment, okay? Um, Last week we had this elder meeting, and I'm way over time. We had this elder meeting, asked the elders, and um, I've just been really bummed all week that... um, that when I set that meeting up, I didn't set it up right. Like, we did that all out of order, and it just kind of, it shouldn't have gone that way. And, but, you know, when you're talking about finances, you have pictures, and I love pictures and charts. I love charts. They help me understand things, and they're in color, and they're really cool. And so we can put them up on the screen, and everybody gets it. So let's start with that. Let's start with pictures. Let's start with what people get. And there were two things wrong with that. Um, number one is that sets the tone for the whole time. Everything becomes, what about the budget? And if you try to introduce a different subject, it's, what about the budget? And so when we start talking about reaching people, why are we reaching people? Because we've got a budget, which is all the wrong reasons for reaching people. If we had a million bucks in the bank right now, we'd still need to reach people, am I right? Right, so, yeah, I should have done that differently. I apologize. Um, Secondly, the elders, we had a a very interesting talk about this because uh, I was remembering way back in Tennessee and North Carolina, um, some of you went to a church like this maybe recently or a long time ago. Um, When I walked into the Little Baptist Church in Tennessee and I looked up, I saw two things. I saw a baptistry with the Jordan River painted on the back wall. Anybody with me? Okay, Jordan River painted on the back wall and just to the right of that, what was there? Anybody know on a little board? Yes, the attendance, David's, David's with me. There's a little board, and it had some numbers. And it was like Sunday school. I mean, if you were hardcore number keepers, it was like Bibles brought. Uh, I, mean, I mean, big time. How I many, like, attendance in this, attendance in that, an offering. Like, you counted everything. Do you guys remember a guy that used to walk around and stick their head in the door and count the number of people in the room? Did anybody have that dude? Yeah, we, yeah, so it was like... And so we just started thinking about, isn't it interesting the things we count? We count the things that we think matter, right? We count what we think matters, I guess. And so <laughs> we were saying it's just interesting that the only numbers we presented were financial. I guess we could have stood up and said, okay, raise your hand. Did you read your Bible this week? Right. Okay, who shared the gospel with somebody? Raise your hand. You remember this. I didn't go to Sunday school as a kid, but I just remember I was talking to somebody about this. It was like, you sat there and went, oh my goodness, do I lie about this? I read my Bible. I sort of did. I saw it sitting there. It said Holy Bible on the cover of it, so I read that, right? <laughs> that counts, doesn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, I brought it. I brought my Bible. Count me out. Right, right, right. It's like, who shared the gospel Right, who's discipling somebody? Who prayed for your neighbor? Right, there's so many things we could count. And it becomes kind of a cultural thing, doesn't it? Like if you, I remember the first chapter I pastored, the numbers were there. And if the numbers didn't get changed, it was like, 
Excuse me, who didn't change the numbers? Those are last week's numbers. You remember that? Kelly's back there laughing. Those are last week's numbers. Who didn't change the numbers? We forgot to change. Man, those numbers are two weeks old. Oh, here I just get on. I'm like, oh gosh. You know, so all of that to say, what if this sinks down in culture? Our God isn't like that. Our God is Lord of heaven and earth. We have life in Christ, and everyone we meet <laughs> is a pagan or a struggling Christian, maybe, or somebody who gets this. There's somebody who needed to be reached. There's somebody who needed to be discipled. And whatever I do, I need to think about it in the terms of the glory of God in how I'm reaching these people. So I need to maybe not talk about some things or bring up some things, not do some things. Um, whatever those are, right? Whatever I do, I need to not make it more difficult, right? I need to not make it more difficult for people to come to Christ and not make it more difficult for people with a sensitive conscience on both ends of things. So let's pray together. Lord, um, thank you for people who listen. Thank you for an attending church. Thank you for your word, which is sharper than a two-edged sword. Um, Lord, I don't know how this is going to be taken home except to say we know who you are. We know who the idols are not. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to be on our knees for the sake of our neighbors. I pray that you'd help us to be on our knees for the sake of the people we know who are so far from you. And Lord, if, if they have looked around at this world and they have gotten the completely wrong impression as to what it means to be a Christian, we, we are sorry for that. We ask forgiveness for that. We confess that that is just awful. And we pray, God, that the people in this room would be a part of making that right, God. Lord, I open our eyes this week to see people differently. To see people differently. And to do what we do, whether we eat or drink, whatever glory of the name of Jesus and the lives of the people you place in our path. In the name of Jesus we pray.